Hello there, this is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The podcast where, after having watched Doctor Who, I tell you about it. <laughs> so, Kyle, uh, have you seen the latest Star Trek Discovery yet? <laughs> I, I did, in fact. I think we're on, what, episode 10 now, or was that episode 11? I, I don't remember the episode numbers. And uh, have you rewatched the uh, 2017 Wonder Woman recently? <laughs> I'm just messing around because that's what we were talking about between episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I we were like... recording this right on the tail of the of the previous one. And we are still in the wake of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And... If you are a fan of Star Trek Discovery, then you would know that its episodes are released on Thursdays, and as of this recording, the most recent episode came out on Christmas Eve, and basically all week last week I was kind of lost in time and never knew what day it was, and I think Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday... At some point during the day, I had the thought that, like, it was Thursday and we would watch Discovery that night. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then on Thursday, neither myself nor my partner remembered or thought about Discovery at all, all day, because we were just busy with other stuff. And then, like, on Christmas Day, on Friday, I was like, oh, shit, we didn't watch Disco yesterday. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't so, watched it at all yet, um, which is the first time in a while that we haven't watched it on a Thursday. But you know, with, uh, with Christmas and everything, um, we will hopefully watch it tonight. And indeed, this is, the, this is the first Star Trek that we've had in a while that wasn't followed up by a uh, Star Wars. It's been nice having the Mandalorian um, going from Trek to Wars, you know every every week at the end of the week sort of wrapping it up with a star trek and a star war and now we're all out of mandalorian but we still have a few more uh discoveries left yeah we're getting near the end but not quite there yet yeah cool all right well um did you want to talk about anything else before we launch into the episode i am ready to go into it So our Cliff Dangler from last time. Well, first is... we'll say this is a episode thirty-three, which is hidden danger. Yes, a very uh, very generic episode title. Honestly, <laughs> I like I like the that element of, of danger to it. It's maybe a little too on the nose, maybe a little too uh, obvious. Um, but overall, I'll, I'll give it a pass. Cool. So, Cliff Dingler. Um, yeah, so our, our heroes have these sensorites on board the spaceship, the, the, I think we said 28th century spaceship. I um, think that's right, yeah. Where the heroes find themselves. And uh, these sensorites have just revealed, um, or Susan, who has been talking telepathically with the uh, 
with the sensorites has revealed that she must accompany them down to their world, the sense sphere, or they will all be killed. Indeed. And I'm sure we probably got some kind of music sting there. Bum, bum, bum. And this episode picks up with our cliff dangler. And after the cliff dangler, the, the heroes all agree that they can't allow Susan to go with the sensorites. Okay. And so Ian and Barbara go and open the door to confront them. <laughs> yes, they're door opening experts at this point. <laughs> uh-huh. The sensorites kind of show their hand a little bit, and it's not a very good hand. One of them kind of leans to the other and says, They are not carrying any weapons, yet I am frightened of them. And they're saying this out loud? Yeah, I think they're they're trying to be quiet, but they're definitely, like, speaking out loud. <laughs> Maybe they're so used to, like, operating telepathically that this whole, <laughs> like, non-telepathic people interaction has, has thrown them. Uh-huh. Ian says that he and Barbara only want to talk to them, but the sensorite is like, Intruders from other planets always say they wish to talk, but all they mean to do is destroy. Fair. Fair. Yeah, especially humans. Mm-hmm. Susan explains that they trust her, apparently because she can use telepathy, which we saw in the previous episode with the whole We Defy You thing, of course. Mm-hmm. And... The doctor says that if Susan goes with them, then the sensorites will have all of the advantage. And, you know, so he doesn't think that's a very good idea. And he also doesn't think that Susan can properly represent our party of PCs. Mm -hmm. Susan's just like, fuck that. Stop treating me like a child. Yeah, yeah. Why shouldn't she represent them? Uh Uh-huh. Of course, the doctor doubles down on treating her like a child. Of course. Saying, You will do as you're told, Susan. Come here. And there's our doctor as an asshole moment. Yeah, he's really racking him up. She resists briefly. Just, you know, she kind of like stands there looking defiant at him and whatever. But then he adds, This instant. Yeesh. And she kind of, like, looks at the sensorites and then, like, steps away from them toward our heroes. She's like, I know you said that you're going to kill us all if I don't come with you, but my grandpa is really yelling at me right now, so <laughs> i got to go. Uh-huh. One of the sensorites turns to the other and is like, oh, hey, we should fucked up potato mash them with our fucked up potato mashers. Good thinking. Except we actually get the name for these devices. They're hand rays. Nice. But before they can hand ray our heroes, Mm -hmm. Ian flips the light switch off. And in the dark, the sensorites just like drop their hand rays and just kind of like stumble around and moan. Yeah, we established in the previous episode that they're afraid of the dark. 
uh-huh. thanks to a rather yeah. confusing science section about eyes dilating in darkness versus in the light. Ian's like, you were absolutely right, Doctor. Yeah, help us in the darkness. Ian ends up like turning the lights back on at the Doctor's request. And the Doctor is like, You could have been left here in the darkness. We have power over you, but we don't intend to use it, only in our defense. <laughs> the technology, we, we've mastered light switch technology. <laughs> yep. And with these light switches, we can control you. Beware. He and Ian demand the TARDIS lock back, and the sensorites are like, uh, we should probably check with our boss. I'm sorry, I have to check with my manager. Uh-huh, so one of them, like, holds his stethoscope device up to their probably forehead, and, you know, we hear the the sci-fi squealy whine noise of the psychic soundtrack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Matilda's doing her own rendition of the psychic sound. <laughs> Uh huh. And the doctor's basically like, fuck this nonsense. And he just storms off, saying, Dictated to by petty thieves and my own grandchild. Yeah, he's, he's really cantankerous this time. Yeah, he's. Yeah, I think one Doctor Who is an asshole moment is not enough for him in this episode. He's no. trying to get the high score. <laughs> yeah. Ian wonders to Barbara if the sensorites had somehow hypnotized Susan to get her to agree to come along. But Barbara is like, no, I think the doctor just treats her like a fucking child. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah, Barbara's actual line is... No, I don't think so. She's just growing up, Ian. But close enough. Mm Mm-hmm. The doctor, meanwhile, confronts Susan, straight up just telling her, Oh, I know you thought you were doing your best child in the circumstances, but I think I'm a better judge of that. He's uh, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm an old, and the whole point of being an old is that we're wise. Hmm. And she's like, So I'm to be treated like a silly little child. Doctor says, If you behave like one, yes. Susan explains that the sensorites are timid and they're shy, but they trust her. And the doctor's like, Oh yeah, we'll totally exploit, I mean use that, but you're not allowed to make your own decisions. It always kind of surprises me that, you know, we could have had the doctor be this like twinkly-eyed sweet old man, you know, this like friendly grandpa that everyone would want to have be their, you know, magical time box flying grandfather who would come and visit and take them on adventures. But, you know, repeatedly the BBC has made the decision like, or we could just kind of make him be an asshole. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a really interesting decision. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go with interesting. Yes. And, you know, I know I know that I will sometimes exaggerate a few lines here and there in the episode. Mm. 
And you may think I'm exaggerating when I say that the doctor tells Susan that she's not allowed to make her own decisions. But his exact line is, You will not make decisions on your own accord. Now, do you understand? Is that quite clear? Well, is it? Yeesh. Yeah. Susan kind of stands up for herself at least a little bit, though. She says, Look, I'm not saying I'm as clever as you or anything. Of course I'm not. But I won't be pushed aside. I'm not a child anymore, Grandfather. I'm not. Mm-hmm. And that's about when the censorites enter the room. Sorry, are, are we interrupting? <laughs> uh-huh. They're like, What the flip? We're too timid to say what the fuck, but why are you making her so miserable? We can totally sense it in her mind. Man, when even, like, the censorites are worried about, like, how badly you're treating your granddaughter, you gotta, you gotta stop and re-examine. Yeah. Doctor, though, is just like... Yes, and it's a good thing you can't read the anger in mine. In all the years my granddaughter and I have been traveling, we have never had an argument. And now you have got one. I feel like that's objectively untrue since they've specifically argued about him treating her like a child before. Yeah, that has definitely come up. And also, that's not something that the censorites did anyway, so... That's true, too. Yeah. He's just just being an asshole on his own. He doesn't need help for that. (laughs) Susan, though, I think she kind of feels a little bit bad when he says this, because, like... She goes over and kind of like hugs him a little bit and tells him that she'll do what he says, but she still looks pretty upset and for good reason, obviously. Yeah. The censorites are like, well, we checked with our boss and he says that we should listen to you and tell him what you say. So the doctor's like, awesome. I'd like to talk to him face to face. I want to arrange the release of this spaceship. Tell him we're not pirates or plunderers. There's only one treasure we desire from him. What is that? Freedom. Cool. That's a pretty cool speech. I wish I wasn't so mad at the doctor so I could appreciate it more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of freedom, why don't you give your granddaughter the freedom to make her own decisions? For real. Carol is tending to John... And she, like, she asks him if he remembers who she is. And he doesn't, doesn't really seem to be able to articulate an answer to this. Uh, although he does say, You're good. You make me think of Coco for some reason. <laughs> it seems that he does have voices in his head which are apparently begging him to forget. And he would really prefer to not have voices in his head. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty reasonable request. Yes. Maitland enters the room, and he's like, Oh, hey, John, you're looking well. Everything is going to be absolutely and totally cool. Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh. John's just like I don't like the voices I want to have silence in my head yes. yeah Carol's, yeah. Carol's pretty despondent about the whole situation 
she thinks it's hopeless, basically, and she even says that John might as well be dead, which I thought was a bit harsh. Yeah. Maitland's like, no, 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 you and John and like some of these other folks are going to head down to the planet and they're going to fix John. Carol's just like, yeah, whatever. So are the voices in his head the voices of Sensorites? I think so. I think that's the impression they're trying to give us. Okay, because it seems like just leaving, you know, once once they give us permission to leave, then presumably the voices in his head would stop. Right. Hmm. Okay. Barbara and Ian are in the other room, and they're negotiating with the Sensorites. The Sensorites want Barbara and Maitland to stay behind on the ship as collateral, basically, while everybody else heads down to the planet where they will cure John as a sign of good faith and trust. Ian is not really sure about this idea. He doesn't really want to split the party. I'm with Ian. You never split the party. Uh (laughs) I mean, when it can be avoided. He's like, well, I don't like this splitting up. It always leads to trouble. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that, that could be like the tagline of our show. Uh-huh. The Sensorites, though, are like, well, you have to. We're not going to agree otherwise. And Barbara's just like, okay, cool. We'll split the party. Ian's just like, oh, fine, whatever. Mm, okay. So they're waiting for this other spacecraft to show up that's going to take them down to the planet and the doctor wants to ask a few questions of the sensorites he starts off by clarifying that they use their stethoscope things to communicate telepathically sometimes but usually they just speak like verbally hmm. and it seems like it'd be cooler to just if you can communicate telepathically just do that just do it yeah it seems like they they seem to use it like pretty much only for like long distances and stuff though Hmm. okay he i guess he starts pressing them on like how they telepathically blank out the minds of maitland and carol and you know he's questioning them kind of aggressively Uh, just in the way that the doctor does. And they start, like, kind of visibly reeling back from the doctor. (laughs) Uh, They're not the first. Uh Uh-huh. Susan's just like, Grandfather, remember, they're super timid and shy, so, like, you might actually do better just rolling, like, a regular persuasion check instead of intimidation. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's just like, oh, all I was trying to do is unlock the additional backstory dialogue option. And it seems like the doctor's persuasion would be higher than his intimidate. Yeah. Yeah, I think it probably would be. But it doesn't seem to stop him from from trying. Yeah, and this this particular game session, he was really on the the intimidate train. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's just trying to unlock the additional backstory and one of the sensorites is like, oh, I've got that dialogue option. You don't need to intimidate me anymore. <laughs> I'll just tell you. So it turns out that 
Ten years ago, a ship with five humans landed on the Sensphere, and the Sensorites were all like super friendly toward them, even though they could sense that the humans thought that the planet was pretty rich. And then apparently there was some argument among the humans, and two of them left in their ship, which exploded in the atmosphere, killing everyone on board. Hmm. Now, you might be wondering, what about the other three humans? I am wondering. Barbara wondered the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Sensorites just basically assume that probably the other three snuck on board the ship and like tried to take control of it from the two men and probably like that somehow led to the explosion. But this is all just their, the sensorites assumption. And apparently ever since that time, 10 years ago, the sensorites have started getting sick and dying more and more each year. Susan's like, what the fuck? You have a global pandemic happening and you're inviting us over to your planet so you can cough in our faces and wear masks below your nose? (laughs) Yeah, dude, what's up with that? The sensorite is like, Our people are dying, and the first elder says he senses great knowledge in you. So, of course, the doctor's like, (laughs) Ha ha, I thought so. (laughs) They didn't know just what to say to the doctor. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so with that, we wrap up the scene with... Uh, a bunch more dialogue that didn't really actually matter at all and then we cut to the planet hello this is Dalek Kyle I hope you are enjoying this podcast if so please leave a 5 star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast if you are not enjoying it You can leave a five-star review anyway to give Benny and I a false sense of security. Thank you for listening. I will mention here that it is a straight cut from Maitland and Carolyn John's spaceship to the surface of the planet. We never actually see like this other ship that the sensorites apparently took them down to the planet in. Well, we didn't have the budget. Yeah. So down on the surface of the planet, on the sense sphere, they apparently are big fans of arches in their architecture. Cool. Well, that's why they call it architecture. <laughs> so doctor's really going to have a good time here. Of course. We we all remember the architecture ship. We see a room with three sensorites in it. And there are several doorways that are shaped like arches. They have curtains hanging behind them. The the actual sensorites themselves are all wearing the same sort of like track suits or jumpsuits or whatever that we've seen the other ones wearing. But these sensorites are all accessorizing a little bit. Cool. One of them is wearing two dark sashes, 
like one over each shoulder, kind of like crossing in the front in like an X or whatever. Cool. Uh, the second one is wearing one dark sash just over one of their shoulders. Okay, try a little harder, but okay. <laughs> and the third one is wearing a dark collar around its neck. All right, well, I made an effort. I appreciate that. <laughs> and it turns out that uh, old Tusash here is the first elder. <laughs> okay. And he's boss of the whole planet. I mean, he does get two sashes. Mm-hmm. So he has invited the humans to his palace, but the second elder, also known as Ol' One Sash, mm-hmm. is not sure that this is a really good idea. Well, too bad, because you only have one sash, buddy. <laughs> one Sash thinks that the humans might just cause more death. He also thinks that the humans are pretty fucking ugly. And that maybe we should have met them, like, up in the mountains instead of, like, here in the palace. Yeah, mountains seem better for ugly people. Uh-huh. Two Sash, though, First Elder, is like, dude, chill out. They probably think that we're ugly, too. Hmm. And Interesting. Yeah. First Elder turns to Collar and asks him what he thinks. Apparently, the collar-wearing sensorite is the city administrator. And the caller says, Sir, you were elected to lead our people because of your great brain. I would not dare to question your actions. That's cool. I wish someone would tell me at some point that I have a great brain. <laughs> the first elder is just like, dude, stop licking my ass so much. Yeah, no kidding. And he leaves the room. After he leaves... Old One Sash turns to the city administrator and he's like, all right, dude, two sashes gone now. You can say what you really think. And the city administrator is like, humans are fucked up. That's what I think. I well already got the disintegrator trained on the room that they're going to be in. <laughs> oh, I like that initiative. <laughs> Second elder is like, uh, I don't know. That seems a little bit fucked up itself. I'm not really sure about that. And the city administrator says, I am the city's administrator. It is my duty to protect the one who rules. Can you say that these earth creatures will not use force? I am only guarding the first elder. One suspicious act. And the disintegrator will destroy them. Like, listen, dude, we have this disintegrator. We bought it with the taxes that our people pay. <laughs> and uh, by golly, we're going to get our money's worth. Second elders is like, oh, whatever. Just don't do anything without my permission. And he leaves the room. Hmm. We cut over to the doctor and Susan, who are accompanied by one of the sensorites from the ship. And the three of them are strolling through a courtyard. Uh, I have to say that the courtyard did look pretty similar to the first elders, like reception room or whatever, except that there's a fountain in the courtyard. And instead of there being like curtains hanging behind all the arches, 
there are matte paintings of mountains hanging behind all the arches. <laughs> cool. I, I'm a big fan of matte paintings. Uh-huh. It seems that Susan and the doctor are basically being left alone by all the local sensorites. And probably they presume that it's because the sensorites all think that the humans cause whatever disease is happening. Which may be true. Right. We don't actually know at this point. The doctor is like, oh, we should like explain to them that it's nobody's fault. Which we don't actually know for a fact. Right. Uh, but the sensorite who's accompanying them is like, no, no, no. You shouldn't explain things to the lower castes. Mm. But he explains the caste system to Susan and the doctor a little bit more. And apparently he says there's no shame in it. Like, you know, regardless of what, what case you're in, there's no shame in it. It's just whatever people are best suited for. He says, The elders think and rule. The warriors fight. The sensorites work and play. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And what do we know what case the person who's saying that might be? Um I think just sensorite case. But I don't I don't know that we actually know that. Mm, interesting. Okay. Meanwhile, John and Carol are also down on the planet surface. They're kind of like following the doctor and Susan and the sensorite. And Susan kind of hangs back for a minute to talk with them for a few moments. And as they talk, John seems to sense some evil minds nearby. Carol doesn't really believe him, but like Susan kind of goes on the alert. We cut back over to the disintegrator control room where the city administrator is working with uh, an engineer to get the disintegrator beam all set up properly. So have we seen the disintegrator control room before? Is that where the uh, the two sash and one sash and collar were before? Um, no, earlier they were in like the reception room, I think. Okay, I, so this is a, this is a new new room that we haven't seen before. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the first time we've seen the disintegrator room. Is it full of like sci-fi control panels covered with buttons, switches, and dials? Uh, it is indeed. The excellent. Well, excellent. There's, there's basically just like one big control panel covered in buttons and switches and dials. I'll take it. And. The camera is kind of positioned on one side of it, and we're like looking across the control panel at the city administrator and the engineer. And they discuss, like, basically where the humans are going to be in the reception room. They get down to like the specific details of like which chairs or which seats are they going to be sitting in. Mm-hmm. And the engineer asks the city administrator what body part he should target. Apparently, <laughs> he's got the vats all pulled up on the disintegrator, disintegrator's pit boy. Yes, yes. And the city administrator says that he wants to target their hearts. 
but he's not sure if their hearts are on the right or left side of their bodies or in the center as in ours. Mm. So they decided to just go ahead and aim for the center. Yeah, I mean, you disintegrate the center of a person's chest. It doesn't matter if the heart's there or not. <laughs> uh-huh. The city administrator is curious about, like, how the engineer can track the human's movements. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's because of all of the electrothermal couples installed throughout the palace that allow them to read people's body heat. Nice. I like the uh, electrothermal couples. Yeah. Yeah, peppering in some nice little technology words here and there. Yes, hyphenated technology words are always (laughs) bonus points. So the administrator asks the engineer, And you can tell exactly when they move into their places in the reception room. And the engineer responds, With absolute accuracy. So city administrator says, Then when they are seated, kill them. Hold on a second. That wasn't the plan. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure the second elder, old one-sash, wanted to have a say in there. Yeah, and also he said something like, if they do anything suspicious, then he'll kill them. Right. Along those lines. And now he's just like, whatever, just do it. As soon as they sit down, just wipe them out. Just assume that they're going to do something. I mean, sitting down in itself is already <laughs> kind of suspicious, right? Am I right? Kind of. Pretty we, presumptuous. We go at this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the doctor, Ian, and Susan, and Carol, and John are finally getting to their meeting with the first elder. They're all kind of standing around and talking at first. And the first elder agrees that John can be cured, but it's going to take some time. Hmm. So he has his assistant Sarite take John, nice. <laughs> <laughs> take John over to like a different room, basically to rest in. And Carol wants to go with him since she's kind of being John's caretaker. So they agree to put her up in a room nearby. I mean, plus, wasn't she his fiance? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were definitely going to drink the cocoa together once they got back yes. to Earth. Yes. So, you know, they, they take John out, and as he leaves, he says that the First Elder is a good man. But once they're out of the room, then the doctor basically starts yelling at the first elder and telling him that it's a disgraceful how they've caused this condition in John. And Susan's like, grandfather, chill out. We're guests here. And yeah, yeah, the first elder agrees with Susan. Basically the doctor needs to chill. He says, please do not condemn before you know the facts. (laughs) Oh, he hasn't known the doctor very long. (laughs) But this is the point where the First Elder invites them all to have a seat at the table. (gasps) So, of course, the camera cuts back to the disintegrator room. And in the disintegrator room, they are all ready to go. Engineer's got his finger over the button. You know, they're just waiting for the humans to sit down. 
But before the engineer can hit the button, old one sash enters the room and tells him to turn it off. And the city administrator is like, dude, but they're super evil and we need to kill them. Dude, they're sitting down. (laughs) And the second elder is like, oh, actually, turns out they're pretty friendly and civilized. So engineer like flips a bunch of switches, bunch of lights on the control panel turn out. And the second elder even makes the engineer like remove the firing key from the device and hand it over. Does not trust that guy at all. So yeah, the engineer pulls out this like big cylinder that was probably about a, like an inch thick and maybe like a foot long. That I guess was the firing key that they had like inserted into the device and turned. Mm-hmm. So he pulls it out as the second elder leaves the room. He turns to the city administrator and he says, I am doubtful about you. You question orders. You question authority. Take care lest my doubts not become realities. Bum, bum, bum. That's a pretty cool threat, though. Yeah. Although I think he's kind of, like, he could be a lot more threatening than he is here. Like, he just stopped them when they were, like, on the verge of murdering these humans. But he's just like, huh, I'm kind of not sure about you. (laughs) Oh, you... Back at the First Elder's table, he explains his position and situation and whatnot to the PCs. Mm -hmm. He says that John and the others showed up at the planet, and when John learned of all the molybdenum... His mind just opened up and shouted out the secret to us. Apparently the secret being that... He thought of a fleet of spaceships to come here and mine the metal and transport it back to his own planet. Hmm. So, yeah, basically, humans wanted to exploit the sense sphere for all its molybdenum. Of course, you gotta get that sweet, sweet molybdenum. Uh-huh. And so the sensorites were legitimately worried about, like, their whole way of life getting all fucked up and shit. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, if all these like mining ships start showing up to steal their molybdenum. So they decided that they basically had no choice but to imprison the humans in orbit and not let them leave. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that tracks. Yeah. Uh, but Ian is like, yes, but that's no reason for driving him out of his mind. Well, that's the only move they had. Yeah, and actually it turns out that this was not really intentional. Apparently, when they, like, used their psychic powers to, like, put Mayland and Carol and, the you know, put all the humans to sleep, apparently John's mind was just so open that he got, like, a bigger dose of it or something like that. Elder says, He heard the full power of our voices in his brain. That's the danger of having an open mind, I guess. Mm -hmm. You just get the full dose of that psychic juice. (laughs) And, you know, if if you're only expecting a little bit and you get like a whole mouthful. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's not a good time. So around this time, there is a serverite who okay. has been like bringing glasses of water around to everybody. And the first elder notices that the serverite has served him crystal water, but served regular water to everybody else. So the first elder's like, dude, don't insult our guests. Give them the crystal water, too. I bet the city administrator put you up to this. So yeah. Serverite goes off to get some more crystal water. Yep. While Ian asks, like, what the difference is. <laughs> and it turns out, like, the regular water is... Very well refined. We are very proud of our aqueduct. It lies beneath the city. So, like, you know, there's not really a problem with the regular water, but the crystal water comes from a pure spring that the first elder discovered. And, you know, apparently, like, pure water springs are very rare on the sense sphere. The first elder I believes... Be liquefied crystals. <laughs> well, he does, he does believe that it has special qualities. Oh, excellent. Yeah, he doesn't go on to explain what those qualities are. So, you know, it probably like aligns your energy with pyramids or something. I'm sure. Yes. Why would he even bother explaining that when it's so obvious? Right. So, but, you know, because he thinks it has these special qualities, he stores like flagons of crystal water for the use of the elders. But like all the rest of the sensorites just drink regular water. Ian is like, well, I'm pretty fucking thirsty, so I hope you don't mind if I just go ahead and, like, drink some of this regular water while we wait for the crystal to arrive. Okay. Um, hmm. Now I'm starting to wonder if it's poison or not. <laughs> we cut over to the city administrator and the engineer for a brief scene. They're still, like, in the disintegrator room just talking. And... The engineer decides that he also doesn't trust the earth creatures. So he's willing to like follow and go along with the city administrator. He says, Command me. He's into it. Yeah, city administrator is like, ooh, kinky. <laughs> <laughs> but he says, uh, For the moment, I am glad of your loyalty. The time for action will not be far away. Oh. All right, so uh, he's he's got a plan, uh -huh. a nefarious plan. Yeah, who knows if he's got like a, a backup firing key for the disintegrator or what. I still don't trust that water. Back in the First Elder's chambers, he ends up explaining the dress code to Susan. And of course, as First Elder, he wears two sashes. It's not just his nickname, it's actually his uniform. Nice. Same thing with Second Elder. All one sash wears one sash. Got it. And, you know, then it's further explained that, like, some of the other sensorites have distinctive markings for their professions. Uh, I think it's not until the next episode that we actually see some, but, like, we, at one point, we see a scientist sorite who's got like a kind of a little test tube looking like symbol on a shirt. 
And <laughs> I'm glad that the symbol for science is so universal. Uh-huh. And the doctor actually asks about like the common folk, the rest of the sensorites, and the first elder says that they are contented with their similarity. <laughs> uh, I like it. It's kind of uh-huh. creepy and uh, kind of dystopian, but but still in that like benevolent ish seeming way. Right. It also gives the costume department uh, a little bit of a break. That's true too. So they learn all about the dress code and Ian and the doctor start asking for more information about this disease that the sensorites are apparently experiencing. Mm -hmm. And the first elder explains that it affects all classes and all castes or castes. I don't know how to pronounce that of sensorites, except for strangely enough, the elders. Oh yeah. Hmm. Uh huh. The, the ones drinking that good, good crystal water. So the doctor actually goes into like negotiation mode here. He wonders if he's able to cure this disease, if the first elder would return the TARDIS lock. But before this discussion can really progress very much, Ian has a coughing fit. Mm hmm. Because he drank the, the dirty, nasty water. Yep. He's actually like. He actually started coughing a little bit like a few lines ago, just kind of like coughs briefly and then recovers and finishes his line. But here at this point, he like goes into a, like a full on coughing fit and gets pretty bad. And like once he stops coughing and he's able to, to speak again, he says that his throat is burning and he asks the doctor for a drink of water. I think the crystal has arrived at this point. So he asks the doctor for a drink of water, but like before he can drink it, he falls unconscious. Yikes. The doctor asks the first elder if like, you know, burning throat and falling unconscious and shit is a symptom of the disease. I wonder. (laughs) And the first elder says, there is no hope. Your friend is dying. And with this, the camera zooms in on Ian's unconscious face as the title's next episode, A Race Against Death, appear on screen. better yeah i thought that was a pretty solid title i wonder how many like how many episodes we've had with some variant of death or a synonym in the title that's a good question we should look at that at some point or danger yeah we've we've definitely had quite a few cool speaking of danger i guess the hidden danger of this episode was the second elder in the city administrator and the disintegrator, or was it the water? I feel like we kind of had a couple of dangers that were (laughs) hidden from our heroes. 
I think it was Palpatine. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> he's the Phantom Menace, and he's also the hidden danger. The clone of Palpatine. Oh, dear. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I think these are pretty good, solid episodes. I don't think that they're the best. I don't think they're the worst. I appreciate the goofiness of them. Um, and I remain entertained. Yeah, I would agree with all that. I think the the first couple of episodes of the serial maybe were a bit rocky, but I think it's starting to to catch my interest. Yeah, I think listening to them, the one thing I'm not experiencing is the pacing of it. So if it's kind of boring or dialogue heavy or there's just long shots of nothing, then I don't have to suffer through that. So <laughs> um, I'm sorry if that was the case. Well, I I do at least try to to pace my storytelling well. Cool. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, was there anything else you wanted to say about this one? Uh, I don't think so. I think we're on pace for our listeners to find out about the race against death in two weeks. Nice. Well, we'll see you then, listeners. Bye. Bye. Hi, Kyle here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23, at gmail.com. Thanks to Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or on Twitter at doctorwatcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. thing is they put up to their foreheads, Barbara. Do you think if we did it, we could read each other's minds? Hey, Barbara. Uh, sorry, I was thinking. No, I've never seen the doctor so angry. Oh, yes. Oh, Susan set him off, didn't she? Sense rights must have hypnotized her in some way. No, I don't think so. She's just growing up, Ian. <laughs>